Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our sixth episode of Talking Ospole. Joining me today is Jeffo and Ardit. How are you guys? Travelling well, Apricot, and how about you? Oh, I'm pretty tired, but other than that, pretty good, you know. Another concert? No, I went to the climate rally yesterday um, and then ended up spending a couple of hours kind of just wandering around the city. So got yeah. home and my feet were about to drop off. <laughs> um, how are you, Jeffo? Brilliant. Fantastic. All righty. Well, I think we might just jump straight into it. Our That's first way this morning is just some reflections on the first week of Parliament. Guys, Parliament's back. Members are having their first speeches. Everyone's been sworn in. How are we feeling about Parliament so far? I might throw to you, Jeffo. Um, look, I, to be honest, nerded out and watched a lot of the first speeches, uh, watched all the question times, and i got to say, um, it was very nice to see some actual stuff nice. get done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really... That is from a political point of view, but the focus from some of the Greens members in their first speeches, especially, um, that you know the mandate isn't just about climate change action; it's also uh, to do with reversing decades of uh, privatisation and all, all other sorts of things. So I really, uh, when I was listening to the first speeches, um, sort of the economic point of view was being put forward by uh, the Greens, and I liked that a lot. Nice. What about you, RD? Uh, look, I'm not as much of a um, a wonk as, as you you two, th thankfully. Um, I mean that from the point of view because I've got two people on here who can actually fill in details rather than just sort of give a little bit of a opinion. Uh, I was, uh, it was interesting to hear the, the comment on the speeches. That was one of my questions for the two of you. And I'd like to know when we get to you, Apricot, uh, whose speeches you particularly enjoyed. I thought uh, Pocock being denied an Auslan interpreter was an interesting move. I mean, there was reasons on both sides for asking and denying it. However, in the optics game, didn't come out as a great look for Labor, in, in my opinion. Uh, I seem to recall either either talking with you online or reading one of your, your comments, Apricot, uh, about the actual details of that and why things may or may not have, have happened and why Labor may well have had good reasons, along with you know, the, the coalition. However, from the perception out in the public, oh, I thought that was a markdown for, uh, for Labor. I thought it was also interesting, too, that... The gates were open, so now it's time to actually see the play that is going to be probably in for the next, uh, at least the next couple of years. And that was seeing the Greens flexing their muscles and Labor trying to, to hose them down. And my perception, I'd be interested whether you two see it this way, but my perception is that the Greens have cunningly backed Labor into a corner where any ground that Labor gives them, as it almost inevitably must, will immediately be spiked with a flag and claimed as green-owned territory. So I thought it was—I thought it was an interesting, an interesting start. I also 
think, too, there wasn't a lot of focus federally on the Teals. However, Labor has to remember to keep appealing to them and they have to avoid getting caught in a green-hued pincer move. Mm. My question is, though, I, I think you're quite right that a lot of attention has been taken off the Teals, save for Pocock. Um, and it's just, is that just really a byproduct that most of the Teals are in the house and that really are functionally irrelevant? Like, you know, we can talk about how the Greens have a greater presence in the house, for example, but mm. the Greens still have the Senate and their Senate numbers, so they're always going to be sort of part of the conversation, at least, you know, when it comes to passing legislation. Um, whereas uh, the Teals yeah, yeah. kind of aren't. Um yeah, I can, I, 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 can, I can see that argument. Mm. I also think you're quite right in terms of how... Oh, yeah? Jeff? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I think functionally... Oh, dear. All right, well, Matt, come back to you on that, Jeff. Um, I was just going to say, I do, but I think you're quite right in but terms yeah. of establishing the play. Um, of the Greens, you know, and Labor trying to flex their muscles. Yep. Um, I haven't had a chance to actually read the story yet, but I did have something fly across my feed this morning where Adam Bant signaled that he would be trying to push um, the Labor Party more on, on Indigenous affairs in the Senate as well. So, you know, he's already kind of going like, okay, the climate talks, you know, ongoing. We know our position on there, but it's not just going to be climate that we're going to push you on. You know my uh, my opinion on the, the the greens on a number of their their areas, but I will happily go on record as saying I think Bant is uh, is is proving to be a very uh, capable and powerful leader and incredibly politically savvy, and I expect to see even more out of him. He, uh, as as a politician performing their role, uh, Bant impresses me enormously. Doesn't mean I'm going to vote for the bloke and doesn't mean I like a whole, <laughs> lot, of, <laughs> whole lot of their policies. However, uh, credit where it's due, he's, he's freaking on the ball and he's on target. He's he's really he's, he's really doing a particularly good job at the moment. Mm. There was um so just two things. One, I saw Ben yesterday at the climate rally. Um and that was really good for me because <clears throat> I've seen him in public a few times now being a member of the Greens that I am and it was very striking but this was the first time I got to see him speak publicly live. Um, since he became leader, just because of COVID yeah. and all that. And yeah. he's clearly gotten a lot better at articulating his points and, spe and speaking to a crowd. That has been a clear improvement in my view. Um, but having had a look at that and listening to you about that, RD, um, I can't help but remember a comment of mine that I made back when Bant first became leader. And someone asked me as, you know, the resident Greens member, you know, oh, what's going to mm -hmm. be like the result of all this kind of thing, you know? And I said it could either go really one of two ways by moving the leadership to the House. Mm -hmm. um, if they don't have a great election, Bant kind of, you know, is still by himself and he'll sort of fizzle out. Um, and the Greens, you know, possibly along with him. But on the other side of that spectrum was if they have a good election, 
and as Bent did really prosecute a good election campaign, I think we can all agree on that, he could become the most, not necessarily influential, but the most mm. key green figure since Bob Brown, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, and my perception of how he's going is if he continues growing in the way that he's currently growing, uh, I'm going to say he'll be he'll be more significant than Bob Brown. Wow, that's that's a very big call. Uh, it is a big, it it is a big call. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's look. Um, that's you know, I, I, I that's that's how I see it. So that's how I'm going to call it. I've been wrong about plenty of things, uh, but yeah, I've been right about a few of them. So I would. You know, I would I would easily place a, a bet on that. Um, I think. Can, can we look? Just uh, we're not sure, Jeffo, whether you're having a connection issue or or something like that. So if you don't mind yeah, yeah. jumping in, if it... hello, yeah, what's what's going on? Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Much better. Hey, thank you. Sorry about that. <laughs> It's all good. These things happen. Um, did you have any thoughts on what we were just talking about, Jeffo? Uh, on the Greens? Yeah, on the Greens and ban and the leadership in general. Um, yeah, well, look, I think it's it's funny that, um, you know, there's always this, I think there's a hyper, uh, you know, it plays well for the media to divide Labor and Greens uh, mm. to a massive extent. Uh when functionally the Greens are a product of a disaffected um, Labor and progressive types that no longer saw Labor as representing their views in the uh, after the Whitlam government. So, yeah, uh, to have a former, to say that Bant is going to be, you know, more um, significant than Bob Brown, a former Labor man, I think that's a big call out date. And I'm willing to say that Bant, because he's been able to increase uh, or seemingly with his leadership style, been able to increase um, the Greens' presence, um, you know, and it's been for years people saying that, you know, Queensland is not mm. uh, not progressive territory. That's where all the country bumpkins lie and that, that kind of myth, I think, got exposed. So, look, uh, I think when people hear a clear message of, about public good, um about uh, keeping the air quality clean, I think that kind of message resonates with people. Look, it, it does, but the the uh, yes, I agree with you on that. Uh, there were a lot. Well, in fact, I, when I was making up my um, my sheet for the the Senate ticket voting, you know, just about every man and his dog was was deeply concerned about the uh, the, the climate change and featured it in there so there's a difference between uh that being something that people are concerned about and actually presenting the message in a easily digestible and i always think this is important an easily repeatable format and bant i now i don't know whether it's an inherent skill that he has and or a particularly good team but his rhetoric and his ability to message clearly it's it's all over um 
all over Labor and all over the, the, the Liberals. It's And that, to me, is the, the key. You, you, you're correct that they're important messages, but more importantly, how he says it and how he presents it is is devastating to the other teams at the moment. Mm. I've... I've said I've said it before and I'll say it again, but I feel like Bant is the sort of leader Labour often wishes it has. You know, you have a former industrial relations lawyer. He was a member of Young Labour at one point. Um, you know, he went and got a doctorate. He's clearly fairly intelligent and is good at messaging. Um mm. You know, like, like if we just kind of imagine an alternate universe where the 2022 election had been, you know, done with Labour being led by Bant, you know, how do we think that would have gone kind of thing? Ooh, hypotheticals. What do you, what, what do you think, Jeff? Uh, look, I think um, it's also the freshness of face. You know, Albanese does look a bit fresher than, than Morrison, but I think that that, um, that connection, you know, of... Um, you know, age as well as something that has played into Australian politics. Most of our prime ministers have been quite on the um, on the older side. So I think as well, it's the ability for Bant, as you said, you know, being an industrial relations lawyer in his um, past and I think in his present. But also, I think that that, that hypothetical is something that 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 uh, that hurts me. Um, you know. As a, as a, as a uh, Labor voter and unionist, um, because I know that my heart uh, that the principles of socializ- socialization probably lie with the Greens now. So yeah, right. Hey, just a, well, just a little. So just as a curious, did you correct yourself from saying socialism to socialization? And if if so, it's it's more a curiosity. And if so, did you do that because? Uh, it's more palatable to phrase it that way. Uh, well, the the processes of socialisation, you know, um, is what's on the back of the Labor member's card. Um, but oh, uh, oh, yes, I, it, okay, it's a, okay. It is a. Um, it is also, you know, uh, you can only really find any mention um, or any repeating of that message if you're in the left-wing Labor circles, you'll see people mentioning the socialist principle. Um, and, yeah, I think that that, that gets, um, you know, diluted when you go to the top. But that's a whole other discussion, I think, over the yeah, 20th it was, century. It was a, yeah, it was a, curi- a cur- bit of a curiosity. It's just I, I caught yourself and it just uh, caught my ear and I thought I'd be – I'd ask the question. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean- think as well, you know, the Greens probably – Sorry, Apricot, but the Greens as well, they're not going to change, like, the Australian society to be socialist. It'll just be a more, you know, it'll just be a strengthening of the welfare state. So that's, yeah. Right, right. (laughs) Well, on that note, we might move on to our second topic, which is, has politics become boring? I just want to draw your attention to an opinion piece uh, that was written by Julie Sesgo. I'm probably butchering that last name. I apologise. <clears throat> but it's got the title of Our Politics is Suddenly Boring and That's Worth Celebrating. And the article, I'll, I'll link it below, but it basically 
just states that, you know, the government at the moment is competently run. Um, as a journalist who's following the news, she's trying to find, you know, something that can make a good story in a sense, and there's nothing really there. Um, and that she's going to celebrate the new boring era of politics uh, because it means that the government is getting on with the job. What do we think of that, guys? Is politics boring now that we've elected a Labour government? Well, look, I might I might jump in here first on uh, on this. Um, and just before we, we jump in there, because it's going to be uh, related to this, just want to say uh, in the, the chat, uh, a g'day to Key Restaurant 8209 and Mr. New Vegas 123, who just called in to, to have a bit of a listen and uh, catch up some accents. And also a commentary from one of our regulars, Ben Along, saying, I like that the Greens are now pushing to stop coal exports. I think that has more relevance than the 43% emissions reduction, but they have their work cut out for them. And I think that sort of ties us in with the, the first and the, the, the second topic. And it's part of the reason why I would disagree that politics has become boring with the election of a Labor government. Look, for me, Albo is an inherently boring man. He's, he's like Joe Biden without the senility and pick-me-up drugs. However, that doesn't mean that politics itself is going to be boring. We have all the regular media running of the bulls to look forward to, you know, the blaming of the previous government, the angst of the premiers, the inevitable crisis that will require sombre and patronising tones to the public, and, of course, the usual uh, speculation about, is it time to change the leader? So we've got, those, got the regular uh, events lined up. But on top of that, I think we've got some new interesting ones with the emissions legislation which still hasn't finished and how it will actually go and those offshoots uh, such as the coal mines we've got the voice to parliament referendum the running of the referendum and the wording itself the economy an extremely strong one at the uh, at, at the moment we also got to this issue that I don't know whether it's going to be a, a sleeper issue and I feel you know, I feel horrible referring to something so humanly tragic uh, as a sleeper issue. However, we're trying to sort of distance ourselves a bit. Uh, a, a bit. You know, we had the four boats of Sri Lankan refugees being returned back to a mess that is arguably catalyzed by a green-at-any-cost mindset that's now being pushed here in Australia. You know, there was a big push in uh, Sri Lanka for organic farming and a banning of manufactured farming inputs before the natural um, organic were in place. So the situation with refugees, I think, is still sitting there as something that's also going to be a, a big issue for Labor. So I put all that together. I don't think we're in for a boring three years at all. Mm, what do you think, Jeffo? Yeah, well, look, I um, I also, yeah, when I, had, I read that article last night, I just thought, and I, I kind of understand her point in that we're not looking for gaffes because it's not the election campaign. So we're not focused on people tripping up their words and uh, and that's good, but also, you know, she literally signs off the article by saying um, something about, you know, the privilege of looking away. And I think that, 
I don't know how to explain this in like uncertain terms, but like the 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 local political region is like heightening up, like in terms of um, strategic competition, you know, uh, with China and like all these things that that are happening in the region as well as at home. Um, to say that politics is now boring is like to say that oh yeah, nothing is happening. We can look away now, and I think that that mm. mostly just points to the privilege of some journalists, but also points to this idea that um, we have we now have a boring statesman in, like you said, Ardeep, like a he's boring. I think he's way more capable than Biden in that he will actually be able to put through his agenda. Um, I, I like. I'm not trying to dismiss your comparison to Biden, but the way that I usually see it framed is that, you know, he's he's Sleepy Joe, uh, Sleepy Joe Albo or whatever, and it's kind of like how uh, how Americanized do we want our society to become? You know, and I think. That- oh, look, I just, just, I, just, I, I will agree with you, with you on on that. I was talking personality wise. I mean, I think a a potato battery would be more vital than bloody Biden, is in my opinion. But I think Albo, uh, much as I might feel that way about him, I'm certainly not saying that he's incapable of doing stuff. So just, just to clarify, sorry, go yeah, on. Yeah, and that's the, yeah. No, it's okay, mate. I, I just that's the way that it's usually framed is that he's the same, so therefore he's incapable. But I think that you know as well, um, we're we're set to see over like the next two terms if the if the Labor Party is in government, multiple referendums, and we haven't had referendums on any matters since uh, nineteen ninety nine. So uh, you know, twenty years of being uh, in the dormitories of not wanting to change anything about you know, the society itself. So for me, politics is boring is just like from that journalist perspective, okay, I no longer have to worry about the economy anymore because we've actually got some managers of capitalism in here now. Mm. Mm. I I just want to pick up on your point about like privilege in terms of that. And I think it is a very privileged sentiment to say that you don't need to care about politics. Because when you say that politics is boring or that you don't need to care, <clears throat> what I hear that is that the status quo is working for you. Um, that that you're 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 relatively okay with how things are at the moment. I'm sure politics isn't boring necessarily to you know those who are still on you know job seeker and haven't really had a work like you know who are living under the poverty line kind of thing. Um, yep. And the fact that, that you know this this new government that promised a lot hasn't you know really kind of improved their lives um i also think that albanese and the labor government in general are really hoping for a boring government they really just they don't want three years of you know chaos essentially they just want to be able to go through and get to the three-year mark and say look we did some stuff we're competent Give us another three years, and we'll be a little bit more competent. Maybe I don't know. Um, I think that's probably I mean? yeah. I think that's probably a a fairly solid strategy. Uh, there's there's risks in risking nothing. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. You can you can lose a lot by not risking anything. Uh, and I'd probably also say too, and um, I must be coming down with monkeypox or something to actually be jumping in and defending a political party. But it 
<laughs> it, 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 they actually haven't had that long to uh, to to really get the, get their stride and to make changes. So look, I'm I'm prepared to give them a a bit bit longer. And my God, I'm going to head to the fainting couch. I'm listening to myself, but I think that's the, that's the reality. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we'll be able to check in with the Albanese government fairly soon, won't we, RD? We will. We will. We yes. Will. Our hundred uh, days. Of- <laughs> For those who don't know, we're we're hosting a special episode of Talking Oz Paul uh, later this month, celebrating 100 days of Albo. Um, so be sure to tune in for that. <laughs> oh dear. Um, before we move on to our third topic, I did. Are there any more comments that you'd like to read out? Uh we've got uh, just a just got a, a, a g'day from uh, Look Representative 83. Uh, no further comments, but look, it's always it's always nice to hear people tuning in and just just saying good day to us. So no, let's uh, let's forge ahead, Apricot. All righty then. So our next topic is looking towards the Victorian election later this year. Uh, Teals are making some you know bit of sound, bit of noise, uh, mainly talking up Q, uh, Brighton, I believe, and Hawthorne. Um, what do we make of this? There, there was an article in The Age talking about how there could be like a genteel wave to wash over the Victorian election. Jeffo. Yeah. Uh, well, I like the play on words because it's kind of like Gentile, like, uh, you know, oh. uh, from the upper class, um, genteel. Um, so I, look, I, I believe that there is a possibility that more independents will get in at the next state election in Victoria. Um, Victoria does actually have a history of uh, in their state government actually having independence um, in the, you know, uh, in the 20th century, which is where I like to spend most of my time sometimes. Um, but yeah. apart from that, the um, the thing is though, is I feel like, uh, the minority government thing was the same thing that we heard for the federal government's previous election. So for me, it's like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I haven't particularly looked at polling, but for me, that suggests that really the media wants a hung parliament. And some people probably do too, because, you know, it has been um, a few years of Labor government there now. And while there have been practical things put into place to help people, uh, it's still, uh, you know, um, uh, any party that's there for a long time will uh, crack, will uh, slow down on actually implementing a program. So, uh, yeah, I think independence will get up. I don't think it'll be a hung parliament. Hmm. Yeah, look, I, I think after point. their performance in the, the federal election, the Teals, they do have every reason to look forward to this election. Although, uh, as we discussed in campaign catch-up and you alluded to, Jeffo, uh, it's important to remember that the Teals are not a party, despite the, the media narrative pushing that trope. You know, it's 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 convenient for, well, you'd know, know yourself, it can be convenient sometimes in the mainstream media to just create a, a, a group that you can refer to and attach, uh, you know, beliefs and stories to it becomes a, a it becomes a shorthand for pushing people's 
uh, people's buttons. So I say that because when you actually uh, when you actually break it down, there is still there's still some important difference between the uh, between the teals. You know, they do have a, a lot of common belief, but they're they're not just a, a single a single hive mind. That's interesting that you talk about the the hung parliament. I'm probably at a at a federal level. The more hung up the parliament is, in my opinion, uh, I'm, I'm generally happier about. Once you start getting down to more of a local level, like state, uh, <clears throat> I tend to prefer to be have someone in there who can actually get the uh, get the business done. I probably would like to see. Uh, someone like the teals in quotes there as a a bit of a a modifier to whoever gets in and i don't know who you think's going to get in i'm not 100 sure as, as time goes by i'm getting more confused about that i used to think it was definitely not going to be andrews i'm probably changing my opinion a little bit on that but whoever gets in having the teals there as a modifier I'm looking forward to, and I'm hoping that they are planning to to look at it, look at it that way as as well. Uh, so, to me, it's it's a bit of a wait and it's a bit of a wait and see. I wouldn't be putting any money on the Victorian elections this at this point. Fair enough. Um, what about you, April? For, for me, this is probably going to fuel uh, you know more allegations that I'm a. Uh, you know, capitalist loving tree Tory. Um, <laughs> but part of me doesn't really want the Teals to run in Hawthorne, um, specifically, just because John uh, Passato, who famously lost his seat uh, in the 2018 coverage live, uh, is running as the candidate for Hawthorne again. Um, and although I disagree with essentially all liberal policies, I found John Passato to be one of the more competent Victorian liberals. Um, he's a moderate in that, you know, that Turnbull-esque style, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I, I would, I would obviously prefer a Labor government, and I would love a Labor Greens government, um, but. You need a competent opposition, and I don't think the Vic Libs are that opposition at the moment. I don't think they're going to win the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and But in terms of people to lead the party post-2022, they don't really have anyone besides John Posado should he win Hawthorne. Um, and so part of me is worried that if Attila runs in Hawthorne, They'll easily get elected, particularly because, like, Hawthorne uh, was the epicenter of, you know, Monique Ryan's strong campaign. Um, yeah. And then the Liberal Party would kind of just be cast into the wasteland, into the electoral wasteland for another, you know, four to eight years kind of thing while they try to get their crap back together. <laughs> um, and again, like, you know, we can all like laugh and jeer at the Vic Liberals, but I, I don't like the idea of one party, any party, really having such a vice on politics that the Andrews government currently does have. Yep. So. Yep. Look, I, I agree to, I agree with you on that. And it's it was one of the uh heartening results for me from the, the federal election. 
you know, yes, Labor got there just, you know, sort of scraped over the line with their majority. However, there's nothing comfortable in there. You know, you can, I, I suppose the party faithful can talk about how, um, and sorry, Jeff, I think you might have even used the term mandate. There can be that um, that opinion out there. But my opinion is that uh, there's nothing comfortable about the victory that they had. And I like to see our politicians uncomfortable. It means they have to work for their votes. It means they have to work to keep their electorates. Um, it's one of those crazy things. The more uncomfortable they are, the more they have to do their job. And I feel like we saw uh, in a lot of areas with the, the coalition government over the, um, the the previous almost decade, I felt a lot of them became too comfortable with their position, too comfortable with um, what they thought were you know, guarantees of their electorate. And when they become comfortable, they start serving themselves even greater helpings from the, the pie. Mm -hmm. So... I'm I'm happy I'm happy to see that discomfort there amongst them, and if we get that in Victoria, I'll be very pleased. Fair enough. Um, I also just want to say that I'm a little disappointed in the teals. Um, I I personally I subscribe to the theory that they should have actually formed a political party. Um, arguably, their involvement in the federal election, you know, was one of the biggest changes in australian politics you know it will probably be in you know an academic book somewhere you know the 2022 election teal wave um mm. and i think they're kind of squandering that um opportunity to really fundamentally shape australian politics now um by insisting that they're no no, no we're just independents um like zoe daniel um as far as i'm aware has completely disconnected from the movement to find an independent to run in queue, which is like the overlapping state seat, um, doesn't want anything to do with it. She's just like, no, 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 I, I serve Goldstein. You know, if someone wants to run in queue, that's their business and I'm not going to help them, basically. Which yeah, I think is just a really kind of missed opportunity. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I can see that. I think yeah, we we had a had a bit of a discussion once before about the pros and cons of the the, the party side. So I can see that side. I think really there's there's arguments for uh, both manifestations of the of the teals. Any other thoughts, yeah. Jeffo? I think. Yeah, I think on that it's just like program. I think that being a part of a party offers you the chance to create a program before you go into government. So why you might think that the Teals are squandering their, their powers a little bit by not coming together is, is because of that reason that they, you know, I often think, okay, well, what's the second term? Like this is the first time that I've been able to think about what a second term and a third term priority would be for a Labor government, right? Because you actually have people start to think ahead. Uh, and what my question would be is, okay, well, what's what are what are the independent second and, and third term priorities? Now I know that they're only individual people, but you know, if we're supposed to be start to thinking in the longer term in order to deal with climate change, uh, in order to make a transition to a, you know, more sustainable and uh, and fairer uh, economy, uh, that's one of the main benefits a party platform gives you. Now, I, you know, they have been kind of acting like a little bit of a block. So I hope that they recognise their power a little bit more 
um, because I would like to see a situation, um, you know, that happened um, at the formation of the of the of the country where there's 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 three almost three equal parties. Um, that would be great. Um, I think it's also worth just pointing out the wow, what's the word? Just pointing out the like material benefits, I suppose, of joining a party at the moment. With the amount of teals that have been elected, should they ever form a party, that party would immediately have party status within Parliament, um, which would allow them to have extra staff. They'd have, you know, a a think tank automatically set up for them. Um, They'd be able to really prosecute, you know, kind of teal ideology, if you will, of, you know, climate change, of, well, Mm -hmm. progressive liberalism, in a sense. Right. Hey, just, um, just, just clarify for me. What do you, what do you mean? They, they get entitled to have a, a think tank set up for them, and, and just, for, you know, well, for, for me and other people who uh, aren't quite as au fait with all the extra benefits of the party, can you clarify that think tank and uh, just a little bit of the, the reasoning behind giving party members more than independents? Sure. So. Basically, in uh, there may be some legislation somewhere, or it's simply convention. But once a political party, like a grouping of politicians, um, exceeds more than f- I think it's five members in parliament, um, they get what's called party status, where they're officially recognised as a party block, um, and basically resources are made available for them for that functioning of that party. You know, they can mm. book meeting rooms to hold their party meetings. Uh, they get staff to help them, you know, like they get a pool of staff rather than individual advisors to kind of rely upon yep. and things like that. Um, it's basically the position that the Greens are in. And part of it is they also get a publicly funded think tank. Um, you've got the, I believe it's the John Curtin Institute for the Labour Party. Um, right. I think it's the IPA for the Liberal Party. And I know the Greens have the Green Institute. And the idea of these kind of, think tanks is to basically look at the kind of policies that the parties advocate for and kind of do the groundwork on putting them together, doing research into them and things like that. Most of my experience is with the Green Institute. So, for example, the Green Institute, which is run by Tim Hollow, who was the Greens candidate for Canberra, um, put together, you know, a report on a UBI for Australia. You know, they did the research on how much it would cost, how it could be rolled out and things like that. So that's what think, think tanks tend to do. Oh, oh, thanks for explaining that. I didn't I didn't realise that, uh, that, that connection or that um, uh, public-funded mm-hmm. fun- uh, privilege. Yeah, and so when Jeffo talks about, you know, what's the TEAL's priorities for the next term... Um, a think tank would essentially, that would be their first cab off the rank. Like, okay, what is, like, you know, progressive liberalism for the Teals? And would arguably start to come up with some policy areas that they could expand on. Huh. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, look, I've, I've just I've just noticed um, Ben Along is saying that he thinks they only need one member in Parliament to have party status. Now, no, I... Yeah, can you explain that? There is a difference here. Um, we're talking about two separate conventions slash legislation. They need one member in parliament to have the right to the name of the party in terms of uh, federal ah. registration. Uh, but for like party like 
status in terms of groupings and resources, I believe it's five onwards. Because um, I believe it was the 2004 election was a bit of a watershed for the Greens because that was when they first got over five members, I think, and then suddenly just had access to all those resources. Uh, Whereas previously so- they were part of the Greens, but like they didn't have any kind of things. It's really the difference, in a sense, between the Greens and One Nation in the Senate at the moment. Uh, okay, so so David David Pocock from the imaginatively named David Pocock party, he's in, so therefore he has that party status. However, because there's only one person from the David Pocock party, he doesn't have the entitlements that you were talking about with regards yeah, to the Yeah, doesn't have the full star okay, or the thing okay. or anything. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, and it also manifests in other ways. I believe it's the reason why Pocock actually had to get permission from uh, Labor, the Liberals, and the Greens for his Auslan interpreter because you need permission from everyone with party status. Ah, so. ah, very good. Thank you, Apricot. You're welcome. We all learnt some stuff. Hooray! Yep. <laughs> now, speaking of learning stuff, uh, we've got to learn something else, don't we? That we do. Jeffo, would you like to take us into a discussion about strikes? Hey, well, look, um, this is the Australian Politics Podcast, so I will try to maintain, you know, a reference to Australia as much as I can. Um, But, uh, you know, with the globalised world that we're in, um, there are interconnections between countries. So uh, I thought uh, it would be good to look at Uh, countries that have similar kind of economic and societal arrangements as ours, um, like the Anglophonic countries, so your New Zealand's, your Canada's, uh, UK, United States, and really look at um, what has been happening over like the last uh, three months in these countries um, in terms of union density improving and uh, and strike actions occurring. And so one of the, the, uh, the things that's been happening is uh, on a local level in New South Wales is obviously the uh, transport dispute between the um, RTBU, the Rail Tram uh, and Bus Union, and the uh, New South Wales government. And uh, on Friday, I believe, uh, the General Secretary um, fronted Channel 7 and said, hey, uh, we're probably going to have to strike again um, because on Thursday they had like a limited industrial action. And he said... It'll be notified within, you know, 10 10 days um, what we have to do here. Um, But if you look at what's happening with the relationships between the unions and, say, the Labor Party in the Labor Party's homeland, which is the United Kingdom, um, which is where it kind of uh, uh, helps uh, where that uh, notion of a Labor Party representing unions comes from, um, I noticed that uh, Keir Starmer actually expelled a uh, actually expelled his transport his shadow transport minister um, from the cabinet um, for joining the picket line with unionists so my observation is in that is in that that kind of context uh, we are somewhat lucky in Australia that the um, we are kind of you know the, the labor party leaders to follow a uh, a different kind of uh, vision that is kind of um, a bit more, you know, uh, connected ideologically. Uh, 
So with a what, job, so, and so still you're, back. are you saying that uh, you, you don't you, you don't you see sort of a divergence there that you're 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 not seeing that uh, type of disconnect between the party and, and union slash worker over here at the oh, moment? Is, is is that what you're meaning? I, I mean, it's not as prominent, and my the reason why I want to bring this up is to note that it's it, while it has been you know um, eroding over the past few years, uh, I'm bringing it up because I don't want us to get to a point where we're we're following in those footsteps and making those mistakes of um, you know uh, the UK has very very bad uh, right to organise and right to, to union action laws and the Conservatives there want to make it. Uh, even harder to to uh, to demonstrate, and uh, uh, and my fear is that um, if this term of Labor government doesn't uh, enshrine, also, you know, maybe have a look at reworking the Fair Work Commission uh, itself, then it, we will follow down that same path of Labor leaders, um, you know, castigating members for attending uh, attending picket lines, and and I think that that's a very Important thing. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was the yep. Yep. Um, a comment was made in the uh, weekly weekly post last week, and um, and yeah, that was uh, about how uh, Chile is rewriting the new constitution, and coincidentally um, adding indigenous representation um, in their new constitution for their their new republic. So uh, look, right. Enoch Isaac made a really good comparison to Australia um, there as well. Okay, in, in what way? Just for the, the people who haven't read that comic, just can you just flesh that out a little bit for us and, and how it related to what you were saying about the strikes and the relationship? Sure. So uh, within Chile, the trade unions there, uh, actually, as well as Indigenous leaders, uh, in much a similar fashion to Bolivia in 2019 and 2020, uh, conducted strike actions and protests uh, over the last three years uh, in order to grind the government to a halt to say, no, we can't accept uh, this constitution that was, you know, implanted um, by a US-backed military coup in the 70s. We can't accept it anymore. So the uh, connection there is that if you have a mechanism in which uh, controls the means of the production of the country, then you can actually uh, hold the government to account uh, in terms that uh, ensure it still works for you uh, in the future. So for me, that, that was the, the biggest lesson that I looked at over there. And then I looked at what we have here and realised, uh, you know, union, union density here is uh, still, uh, you know, languishing. It's not improving like the other Western countries. And uh, and that's something to take particular note of is that um, we might be heading down that path uh, if we don't if we uh, don't enshrine that, that those rights. And look, why do you think I this? And I'm talking I'm talking about 1990s. I used to be a I used to be a union rep. You know, just low low level in the the workplace, and this that was for the the finance sector union, and. One of the things that I appreciated at the the time was our union was was small enough that you had a lot of access to 
people sort of the, the you know the the administrators the the people who were actually running it so you could you could talk one to one uh what i saw as a problem even back then was that many of the the bigger unions uh it was its own bureaucracy that was almost distant and unreachable from the worker and even at that stage i thought you've got the the worker who's trying to get through to their union <clears throat> excuse me trying to get through to their union bureaucracy who's then trying to get through to the you know political bureaucracy and i felt like it was understandable by how by, with the number of people that thought this is all just too remote it's too hard there's there's no real contact with uh oh sorry there's no real sense of what's going on down here on the the shop floor or in the in the office the yeah so i see that i see that i see that as still a well, I see that as probably an, an increasing issue. So given you have to have uh, the support of the worker to go up, to go on strike, and given that uh, you've got the, the numbers coming down, what do you see as the situation for strikes in Australia you know, uh, for the foreseeable future? And do you think that that is now going to change because of a, a federal Labor government being in power or is it that it's such a state level issue uh, it's going to depend on the state so that look that's that's a triple question there the yeah, state of the unions uh, how it affects strikes that's a good and, question yeah. yeah look I think um, if there's not activism done now it won't be until the late 2030s much like there is in the United States or in the UK that people push past through the media narrative spin that actually um, workers having organisations that are actually communicable to their members is an important thing. I think it's important to understand that uh, uh, the, there's also another thing that we don't often talk about, but they are called employer groups. So there's employee groups and employer groups. And uh, what happens is, is that the leaders of an employee group uh, in the national media narratives get spun as being out of touch or outdated or not knowing what's best or not being commonsensical. And so that is also a thing that harms it as well. But I think it's more that the Fair Work Commission puts really, you know, it's something that Kevin Rudd introduced, right, to, you know, sort of assuage uh, uh, the, the work choices um, paradigm that Howard wanted right, to introduce. Right, right, right. The, Fair, the Fair Work Commission, you know, has really strong barriers to entry for creating new workers' organisations that are protected by industrial law. So that's something that is such a quick change. Um, but it's also the fact that unions have had to amalgamate and amalgamate and concentrate themselves in uh, larger and larger organisations in order to have any sort of voice, uh, diluted though it might be now in Australia, um, against, you know, the the private capital employer organizations like the Chamber of Commerce. And this is something that I mentioned the last time I was on the podcast is that for me, I see this as a critical juncture point because the Labor government half got in on their election by going to the Chamber of Commerce, by going to the Business Council of Australia and saying, hey, do you support our plans? And then they, they spruiked that as so they could be seen as the new managers of the economy. So uh, look, it's something right. Right. that, yeah, 
in the, if, if it doesn't change now, uh, then it'll continue to get worse. And uh, the people uh, will have to start their own unions like uh, RAFWU outside of legal protection. Oh, look, that was, that was one of the things that was coming to mind as you were, were talking there and saying that uh, now just because I can't imagine something doesn't mean that it can't it can't happen there may well be a, a brilliant strategy comes along from the unions to uh, incentivize and and motivate people from my point of view i not quite sure what that's going to be and what my concern is is that it starts to become a uh union activism born out of crisis and unfortunately at the moment the most obvious crisis on the horizon is the is the economic is the economic crisis uh, sorry is a is a looming economic crisis coupled with inflation and putting such pressure on the uh, the, the 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 gaps in the, uh, the 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 classes, the wage gaps, uh, the rich and poor gap, putting such pressure on that that we're actually going to see a nasty green stick fracture of that relationship. And unfortunately, when you get that happening, you get desperate people, understandably wanting to feed themselves and their 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 family, and turning towards organisations such as unions who can justifiably say we can amplify your voice and power and you can get almost a momentum going and that's probably my concern about how the union movement might grow and I'm not necessarily sure that that would be the most positive thing for the the, the country or or even even culturally so can you comment on that and can you maybe give me a bit of hope about a potential non-destructive path forward? Yeah, that's a great question again. Uh, the path forward is, okay, all the uh, unions are now, you know, almost all one big union across Australia. Like they represent the workers nationally. So uh, I guess the hope is, uh, and what activism has to, to focus in on is what are the structures that are currently in place that prevent people from starting their own unions, bringing it together? I think that the much of the, the hope lies, um, you know, uh, I think if you look at uh, some certain unions like the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, um, they've done a great job at actually coming together with people of their local constituencies uh, in relation to like the Hunter Jobs Alliance. So it's unions themselves making themselves um, known to the public, holding public forums, uh, doing this kind of basic community work so that people feel like their voice can be heard in that way. Um, I do have hope that the, the, you know, the ACTU has kind of been subservient to the Labor Party uh, since, uh, since, um, since Hawke became its, uh, its, uh, uh, its secretary. So uh, there has to still be a, div a divergence of issues, and that's why I believe the Greens came out at the same time. I do, I do hold hope for that kind of economy scale. And all I would say to people is, is when we uh, look at 
the, the nations of, you know, comparable uh, economies around the world uh, look to what we can work to doing here in terms of enshrining, you know, those workers' rights uh, more firmly in the constitution, uh, not constitution, in legislation rather, uh, but maybe the constitution one day, but also looking at the, you know, the instruments that hamper um, people's uh, right to organise. And uh, if we can't honestly look at, you know, labour legislation, that is bad. You know, the media narrative, whenever, you know, Jim Chalmers gets asked like, oh, yeah, but you can't, you can't do anything about the Fair Work Commission. You don't control them. Well, Labor created the Fair Work Commission. Like, they can, you can abolish these agencies or recreate them at your whim if you are in government. Mm. That's a good point. And I think on that point, we are going to wrap up for today just because we are pushing 11 o'clock, but it is a fascinating subject. And if mm, anyone has any like questions or anything, I would encourage you to reach out to Jeffo. Uh, Jeffo, if you felt like putting your thoughts down into a post as well, I'd be pretty happy to approve that. Um, <clears throat> don't forget, everyone, you can catch this podcast on your favourite podcasting app. And I'd just like to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Apricot. Awesome. You guys have a good one. See you later. See you, Jeffo. See ya.